Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5 p.m. at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. picture there is not the road to Emmaus, in case you were thinking. Uh, I've got a friend, Di Hocking, who pastors uh, um, Vineyard Yarra Valley, who's over in Israel at the moment, and she's posting lots of exciting pics on Facebook and following her journey. But um, she won't post this one, because that's actually in Snowdonia in Wales. Um, and uh, I think Alistair's like picked that one. And uh, the great thing about Wales, in terms of what we're talking about, is it's got lots, lots of mountains, and uh, and you go up and down if you're in Wales. And that kind of is where I want to start with tonight's message, because we can walk that path um, uh, of the Christian walk, which is one of Luke's themes that he writes about. Um, he talks about we're the people of the way before we were known as Christians and so on. Um, but sometimes we find ourselves going in an uphill struggle. And um, sometimes, you know, we find ourselves down in the valley. Sometimes we have our mountaintop moments where... Uh, actually, Helen, did she welcome you guys home? No, she missed that. Now, you don't want to be drawn attention to. I can see your face. I'm already in trouble. Uh, <laughs> But we've been praying for you while you've been away. We've been praying for you guys that you've had such a great rest. And it's been a space for you just to be able to see at least just the next step in terms of where you go. And if you're not yet there yet, then our hearts are still with you to pray for whatever God's got for you. But on that journey of ups and downs, and there were a few ups and downs, weren't there, Nay, just recently? And, uh, and you kicked the dust off your feet and you walked away from one place, which felt real good, I'm sure. Still feeling good? Yeah, yeah. So um, we're always uh, going through life and uh, we get these moments of hope and excitement. And you could probably reflect on your own life, those peaks, those mountain peaks, and then those valleys of uh, terrible disappointment or frustration at how things didn't go the way that you'd thought. And, um, and those things, they affect us emotionally, they affect us mentally. Um, and again, interesting that word earlier about being stuck in the past, those things can, we can get kind of lost on the way. And, you know, Jesus has gone a bit like Jesus' parents. Hang on a minute. Where is he? Anybody ever lost a child? Anybody had that experience? Is it scary? It's about the most scary thing you can feel like, oh no, I've been trusted with one thing, this little baby and I've lost it. So, uh, my uh, my sister has a funny one uh, with my my niece uh, Jody, and um, they were just in a in a shop in a department store uh, like Myers, and uh, they could not find their little three year old anywhere. Um, and the staff were looking; everybody was looking up and down all the aisles. They say, "Sorry, ma'am, we can't find her." Then they noticed just outside the shop there was a huge crowd gathered. And this little girl had climbed into the bed in a display in the window and was all tucked up, um, just winning the cute award. So uh, that's my favorite losing a child story with a happy ending. Hopefully you haven't had any bad endings. But, uh, but yeah, um, how must uh, J- 
Joseph and Mary felt about that one. You know, where's Jesus? Oh, he's in the temple. You knew where I'd be. Um, yeah. So whether you've been through um, just this last season, um, a valley experience or a mountaintop experience, I invite you to come on the journey tonight with um, these guys on the Emmaus Road and just to kind of create a little bit of context, um, Emmaus is just outside of Jerusalem and uh, we're just going to look um, at what happened here in the scripture and pick up some of the details and be able to relate it to, to our journeys. Um, so what we're going to find out is that sometimes we're not even aware that Jesus is with us on the journey. We can feel like we're walking alone. We can feel like we're lost. Um, and we can also find that um, uh, once we see Jesus, he'll give us um, some very clear revelation about um, what he's got for us and, and where we're heading. So let's take that step and read this scripture together. I'm reading from the NIV. You're welcome to read along in your own Bibles. So now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. So Alison, if we just click along in that scripture. Thank you very much. About seven miles from Jerusalem, 11 Ks, Michael, something like that. Any idea? He looks too tired to work that one out. <laughs> um, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels and he said, who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow. That's not like a slur as in somebody who's slow of mind. Jesus is talking about slow of heart and catching on to what the prophets had said, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were, our hearts, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, 
There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And what happens immediately is those disciples rush back to Jerusalem. And we're going to pick it up in verse 44. As we read, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. That's a bit of a long story, but a bit of an amazing one. And um, anybody feel like we're watching a Star Wars movie? These aren't the droids you're looking for. There's something strange going on here, isn't there? He's appearing and disappearing. What's all of that mean? Is that some kind of um, party trick or something like that? Well, we're going to get into the story and we're going to catch up with what Jesus was doing that day. Um, now, what was very helpful to me is um, the commentary I read, um, the Zondervan exegetical. Um, the author suggested um, a chiasm, which is uh, a structure which takes the first and last um, points of a story and matches those up. So um, think of A and A dash. So we're going to do that as a little visualization. And then as we move towards the middle, if we could uh, just click on Alison, just uh, one at a time. And we'll bring these up. Oop, go back quite a lot. Just one click. So rather than click the the whole slide, just use the right arrow and it will build the slide as it goes. Nope. Anybody back there could uh, have a look and see why that's not working. Because I think that's jumped on quite a couple. Okay. Might be an older version. If we can't illustrate it, we'll just have to talk about it. Oh, there we go. So you see how a chiasm works? It works towards the middle. So there's a relationship between the first and the last point, then the second and the second to last point, and so on. And what lies in the middle of that story is a key point that the author is trying to communicate. And this was used a lot by the Hebrews. You see it as a common structure in the Psalms. Um, but it was also used within Greek literature as well. So we've got this pattern in the text, and uh, it's highlighting that Luke wants to draw our attention to something that's at the heart of this story. Who knew that Abba was relevant to Scripture? A, B, B, A. So that's the structure that you see often chiasms described. So you've got that kind of mirroring pattern. So let's um, bring on those, and we'll just talk to that. So you can see the story opens with a journey from Jerusalem. Um, the two disciples are hopeless and grieving. They're confused and they feel like everything has failed, that they had hoped that he was the, right, the one. Um, at the end of the story, we see a return to Jerusalem. In fact, remember, it took them 
uh, a good part of the afternoon, two and a half hours to get to uh, Emmaus, and it was evening. They were eating their evening meal, and they must have ran back to Jerusalem in that time with this hope and joy that Jesus had fully opened their understanding um, in that process of um, disappearing and reappearing. For them, it was a continuous episode, so read it in that kind of story as we'll see. We're going to go um, from beginning to end, but we'll do the chiasm so we can spot what Luke is doing here. So next one, please, Alison. Um, we see on the way out, his followers' eyes are closed. We're told by the narrator that it's Jesus who's walking with them, but they don't recognize him. But as, uh, as we find um, just before the end of the story, their eyes are opened and they recognize who he is and they talk about their hearts burning. The next one, please, Alison. Um, then you can see the third point, his followers... They to explain to Jesus without understanding. It's really funny. Um, we're going to look at that, and we're going to see some of the humor Luke's put there in the text. Um, and then we see on the other side of it that Jesus fully opened. In other words, he explained the scriptures to his followers. So Jesus knew how to read the scripture. Funny that. Um, but here's the thing. What's hidden right in the heart of this story is an understanding of suffering and glory. And none of the disciples got an A-plus on this one. In fact, I think they all failed. So um, Jesus had to come and explain this critical part that was missed all throughout Scripture. It's there, but it's missed for good reason. Okay, let's work through this together. So uh, from the top, uh, we see that they're on the journey. They've... Um, seen what's happened to Jesus from their point of view. He's been crucified. They crucified him. Um, and uh, this is um, the first and most detailed of Luke's three uh, appearance accounts. And he's obviously trying to tell us a story in this um, of the, um, the post-resurrection Jesus and what he's wanting to communicate to the church. It takes place on Resurrection Sunday afternoon. So um, he's journeying, they're journeying from Jerusalem. That was about seven miles outside uh, was the village of Emmaus. And it's like walking from here. If we set off now, we could get to Rockley Markets in about two and a half hours, unless you're one of those super paced people that I can't keep up with, in which case I'd have to say, see you later. But uh, two and a half hours for the average person to walk to Rockley. So that kind of gives you some context of what's going on here. Next one, please, Alison. So his followers' eyes are closed. Um, what kept them from recognizing Jesus? No, it wasn't the force. It wasn't anything like that. This is uh, some commentators, it's amazing what you read, um, feel like Jesus was intentionally blinding them to his presence. Um, just think about it more in terms of when you're downcast, when you're hopeless, you can't see white, right, what's in front of you. It takes somebody else to say, look, it's not that bad or actually it's good. Interesting that these things were coming up in the words earlier on, isn't it? How God was trying to change focuses again. And this is what's written here in the message. Um, so sometimes we can't see what's in front of us. And, um, and, and I just want to say, you know, if there's anybody here who's in one of those valley moments and they're feeling alone and Jesus isn't with you, you know, can you see Jesus with you in those struggles? That's what I want you to hold on tonight. Take a hold of that. 
because he's there. And there's been many times in ministry where as we've gone back to um, dark episodes in people's lives, it's all been about seeing where Jesus was in the midst of that, that they could understand that actually he, he's sovereign, he's there. He said, I will never forsake you or leave you. And so this is part of the story that Luke is bringing here, that Jesus is present even in their confusion and hopelessness. And he's going to do that for you. Okay, next one, please, Alison. Thank you. Um, so C. Now, here's the irony in verse 18, and this is really clever in terms of how Luke has put this story together. Because literally, Jesus was the only one who did know what happened in that time. Everybody else was clueless. And so they're running scared. They thought he was the prophet. Jesus was a prophet for sure. Um, but he was a bit more than the prophet. He was the one. He was the Messiah. What they didn't understand is that the Messiah, um, and he told them, you can see this in Scripture again and again throughout the Gospels, Jesus actually tells them he's going to die, and on the third day he's going to uh, be raised again. But again, they just cannot comprehend that. And there's good reason for them not comprehend it. Again, not, not the force, um, but because they just could not contemplate that their king, would die. I mean, anybody who's into Prince Charles now, King Charles, if he died tomorrow, that would be devastating. And so you add to that this notion that he's going to rule forever. Where's, where's the dying in that? So it's easy to kind of miss it. Um, and we're going to journey a little bit more and understand some of their thinking. But Jesus was the only one who knew what had happened. And yet Cleopas says to him, are you the only one who doesn't know what, what has happened? Um, so they thought he was a prophet. They'd hoped he was the one, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the king. All of those mean exactly the same thing. But here we are at the heart of the story. And we've got there fairly quickly. Um, but this is the download that Luke wants to give his readers. Um, and uh, he's put it at the center of the chiasm. And he diagnoses the theological blindness that all the disciples have. And it's, it's the suffering of the Messiah. Now, they could, they could take the glory. Sure, he would be glorified. But it's not the kind of glory that they could see. They thought he would come riding on a white horse with a great big sword tearing down his enemies, showing that he was the boss. Still today, many of us expect Jesus to ride in on that white horse and take down our enemies. But this isn't the God that we serve. I think it was, was it Micah? Low and riding on a donkey, who's got better scripture knowledge than me? One of the prophets said, low and riding on a donkey. And this was Jesus. He came into his city as the king. And yet he went to the cross, and it looked like his defeat. But as we know, because of the vindication in the resurrection, that was his enthronement. Only he didn't wear a heavy crown of gold, weighing three point something kilos and with the biggest diamonds in the world. His was the crown of thorns pushed into his head by mocking soldiers who had swords who could take his head off at any moment. 
They were trying to show who was boss. But our God didn't have an identity issue that he needed to challenge their uh, ignorance and their blindness. So we can see how this thing of suffering, it's easy for us to be on the other side and make judgments that, you know, it's there in Scripture. Well, I don't know many people that read their Old Testaments, let alone could properly interpret them. But uh, I think when it's been handed to you on a plate, it's easy to see that Jesus would suffer and die. And uh, Isaiah 53 is pretty compelling. And I was sure when I went to Israel, I've been there a dozen times. Uh, have you just not read Isaiah 53? If you re read Isaiah 53, you'll get it. You'll get it. This is Jesus, right? Pierced, wounded, the suffering servant. Oh, no, no, that's not talking about the Messiah. That's talking about us. We've suffered as a people. And so, again, they're blinded to the reality of what Isaiah was um, wanting to talk about here. So every one of his followers could not comprehend that the Messiah would suffer, let alone die. The Jews of Jesus' day were looking for a king who'd be a military conqueror and not the suffering servant. Of course, with hindsight, we know that Jesus, what he was conquering was sin and death, not the Roman overlords. And those invisible forces, that was his target. That was his fight. And as he had skirmishes along the way, there wasn't a demon that could stand in his presence or disobey him when he spoke to it to flee. So Jesus was a conqueror, and indeed, it says in the New Testament that we are more than conquerors. So we're not talking about a faith that lacks power or authority. We're talking of the obedience of Jesus in knowing what he needed to do. So we mustn't judge the, um, the Jews who weren't able to see. Um, many did see. That's why we have the scriptures in the form that we have today. Um, and they're handed down to us. But many didn't. Um, but ask yourself this key question. And it's interesting, I find, that if you talk to people today why they don't believe in a God, the number one answer they will give you is Suffering. Either their suffering, the suffering of somebody they love near them, or the general suffering that they see in the world trying to make sense of conflicts like what's going on in Ukraine at the moment. And it's easy to think and fall into the trap if you're like me and you grow up where you don't see many of those wars on the back of the Second World War and you think things are getting better until all of a sudden that comes closer and you realize actually nothing's changed at all. At any moment, our nation could be called to go to war, and we send our sons. Elijah turned 18 on Monday, and uh, imagine if we're in a conflict with China, and he has to go to war and fight, and we get no say in that. That's what it's like for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters today. And so these things, they seem far away, but um, suffering is definitely something that is very hard to process. And... Um, and so it's not just the suffering of the Messiah, but suffering itself can blind us to who God is. Next slide, please, Alison. So let's be real. Nobody likes suffering. If you're here and you do like suffering, then I suggest you come and see. Uh, well, it won't be me because I'm about to jump on a plane, but one of the pastors here. And we'll talk to you about it. So God isn't into suffering for suffering's sake. 
that whole thing of flagellation, you know, monks who thought that if they whipped themselves hard enough and punished themselves, somehow they could purge themselves of sin. No, only the blood of Jesus can do that. Um, so suffering for suffering's sake is just not the way of things. But suffering is part of the experience. It was for Jesus and it is for us. And um, so when we read the scripture, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's not about rejoicing in suffering for suffering's sake. It's looking for the glory that transcends that suffering as Jesus did. It says in scripture, he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And every one of your faces is what he's seeing in that pain, in that torment, in that, that torture that he experienced. So Jesus here is, is, is causing us to look beyond the suffering in this present life towards the glory that we'll receive. And of course, when you uh, are able to do that, you can recognize, like we did in that series through Revelation, that no matter what people do to you in this life, even if they take your life, they cannot take away your new life that you have in the Lord, which is eternal and secure and kept with Christ until he brings it um, with his person. We may not understand our suffering, um, but uh, we must understand that suffering is not God's will. I find lots of people as a pastor who believe that God's doing this to them. God is good all the time. All the time. That's the ethic and that's the truth on which you need to understand. Now, you can say, well, if he's sovereign, how can there be suffering? That's a really good question. And we can talk at length about that. But God is good. It is not his intention that you suffer. In fact, the message that we have is that God um, came in the flesh. The God who's impervious, he's strong, he can defeat his enemies. Um, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's not founding, found weak in any way. He takes upon the form of a frail human being and subjects himself to suffering. Why did he do that? He did that because he loves you because he wants to rescue you from suffering. And this isn't a temporary thing. It's a permanent solution. He wants to end all suffering. So in terms of where we're heading to, the cross forever united suffering and glory. Because while it was his ascension to the throne, as the nails were driven into his hands and his feet with the crown on his head, it became... Um, the final defeat of the powers and the enemies who thought they had got a victory over our God. But actually, that was his victory over them because that's all they could do. And he proved that it wasn't enough when he rose in that tomb on this same day. And he said, here I am. Look at my wounds. Look at my hands and my feet, which is this wonderful season we're in between uh, Easter, which was just four weeks ago or so. I think I remember Emily singing some amazing songs uh, at Easter time as well. And, um, and we're heading towards Pentecost. And so we're in this season of the year when Jesus is appearing to his disciples. So 
the Almighty God came down and suffered death on the cross because he loves us and he wants to rescue us from suffering. Where this ends up, no tears, no pain, no sickness, no death, no separation. And beyond that, that second part of what we read in Luke's um, statement that Jesus makes, the suffering and the glory go together. So that promise of the glorified body that we will have, we will be like Jesus in that he's already resurrected in that incredible material body that does things that don't line up with material science today, but it is material nonetheless. Nobody excited about that? Don't have to understand it. We can just say, Lord, yes, please. <laughs> Some of us have got eternity to try and get our heads around it, but uh, for now, we'll just say, yes, Lord. So that brings us um, to see uh, where Jesus fully opened. He explained the scriptures. And this last bit's going to go very quickly. Luke's doing something, uh, again, quite clever here. And these last three points in the story is that Jesus opened the scriptures. Secondly, Jesus opened their eyes. And thirdly, Jesus opened their understanding. He uses the same root word three times in that passage that we read together. The Greek word is uh, dianoigo, and it uh, means to fully open. So in English, we're a bit kind of... Um, Lacks a door can be open, and it could just be open a little bit. It could be a jar, but we'd call it open. That isn't this word. That would be seeing those other two doors fully opened as well. That would be dianoigo, fully opened. So Jesus fully opens the scriptures. He fully opens the disciples' eyes, and he fully opens their understanding. Now, is that something you think we would like a part of? That's what we're going to lean into here. So notice where it starts. And maybe this isn't a kind of should do better, must read religiously. But there is something about opening the scriptures that begins the process of revelation. We're doing it together now. We're looking at what Luke, with the Holy Spirit's incredible brilliance, has sown into this story to open it up, to see things we've not seen before. Just as a flower opens up from a bud, and they're pretty pretty as buds, but when they fully display themselves, there's something of God's glory in that. And that's what we're talking about here in terms of what God is doing. Who would have fancied walking to Rockley Markets two and a half hours with Jesus leading the Bible study? That'd be pretty good, eh? I think we'd all be clamoring to be pretty close to him. And hear him explain, that's why that happened. This is why that happened. And talk through the whole history. And there's more I could say there, but I don't have time. But the Jewish Bible is splits into three parts, which are what we call the Torah or the, the law of Moses, the first five books. Then you've got the writings. Then you've got the prophets. And um, Jesus goes through all of those stages. And we're doing it at this group, Understanding the Kingdom, and looking how... Um, all through the history of Scripture and Revelation, God is revealing his plan. And of course, nobody got it to this point. Jesus was the only one who knew. And it gives us good reason in Scripture as to why that is. Because if the powers understood what they were doing by crucifying Jesus, they just wouldn't have done it. But they didn't know that that meant their, their defeat. So 
that's the mystery of Scripture. There's no kind of um, strangeness that we've got to discern and discover with, you know, texts that are buried in the ground or some latest prophet who's claimed the revelation and they represent the global prophetic alliance. Well, God bless them. I see in part and I see through a dark glass. If it's helpful, take it. And if it helps you see clearly, take that. That's the attitude of the prophets that we want these days. None of them could see what our Lord was doing and building. But it's there and it's in his word. I love studying his word. I pinch myself at times that I've got a job where I can spend days just going deeper into it. Now, maybe the word isn't your thing, but I encourage you, five minutes. Open the Bible for five minutes and read it. If you need a little bit of help, go and get um, one of those guides that will take you through um, a devotion every day, something like that. But opening the scriptures is key to growing in greater revelation of who God is and the plan that he has for your life. So that's our first takeaway. Um, when we do that, though, we have a helper who's meant to help us. And the Holy Spirit was sent to teach us the things of Jesus, but also to explain. So do you know that you could go on your own walk with Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, show me why that was the case. Lead me into this path. And I found many things in Scripture where I've read, you know, some commentators spotted the same thing or something like that. But the Holy Spirit, he's great in interpreting Scripture. So invite him on the journey with you. Read it with him. Ask him to fully open to Dionigo, your, your, your eyes, to the Scripture. Um, so next one, please, Alison. Now, we still only talked about fully opening the Scriptures, but there's something here that happens, and it seems mysterious, and it seems almost religious, you know. We talk about breaking bread. We're talking about a little wafer and a little vial of juice, generally speaking. Maybe wine, if you're lucky, for the children who don't normally get to taste that anywhere else other than the church. Um, but, but it's become this kind of religious ceremony. That's not what we're talking about here. Now, breaking bread is used as uh, um, a description of taking um, the Lord's Last Supper. But they were hoeing into a whole meal together. You know, when we talk of the Last Supper, the bread and the wine were the kind of the given things at the meal. And there's probably a big slamber lamb there as well. And so we're not talking here, um, Jesus doing something with, you know, a, a crozier, a shepherd's crook and, you know, a pointed hat. This, this is Jesus, right? He's still Jesus. He's still ordinary. He's so ordinary they didn't, didn't recognize who he was. He's just breaking bread and giving thanks to the Lord, like every Jew does at every meal uh, who's observant. And in that moment, something about eating together, they recognized who he was, and he disappears. And this time, he literally disappears. Now, that would be freaky, right? You could come to me and tell me, Jonathan, I want you to pray with me because I was, I was sitting with Jesus, and then he just disappeared. I'd be like, okay, can we just... Were you drinking at the time or, you know, was, it, was there anything somebody offered you in the street? We'd ask those questions, wouldn't we? Because this isn't, this isn't our usual experience of people disappearing. But who knows somebody else who, who uh, disappeared and reappeared somewhere else in Scripture? 
Philip and the Ethiopian. Yeah, God had a plan for him, and apparently uh, there was no uh, um, Holy Spirit airways in those days, so he just he just took off and uh, and landed where he needed to land. I think that's a pretty cool gift, and we can still be reaching out for that one. Um, but Jesus Jesus disappears, and um, and as we come back to the theme of of, of food. Interesting that at the center of our faith, Jesus has left us a meal to share together as his church. And we want to spiritualize it, but the Hebrews are really good at it. Someone's talking to somebody about this today. Um, but just everything's a bit more down to earth. If you've got any Israelis, they can be pretty sharp and, and ordinary at times. Um, don't get offended. Um, but uh, it's pretty ordinary. We're talking bread and wine. But actually, that's not the only food thing that we're heading towards. Jesus promises that when he comes, not only will we get glorified bodies, but where we're all heading. You've got an invite to a banquet. We're going to a wedding banquet. So I don't know what it is about this God, Yahweh. He seems to like food. It's important. And, uh, and I think somewhere along the way, um, there is something here about eating together. And we picked that up. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, when it talks about the activities of the church and healing, everybody getting healed, people getting added to their number, miracles happening, all this stuff is put alongside and they ate in each other's houses, as well as breaking bread, taking communion. So I'd encourage you, if you're not in the habit of inviting somebody over to your house, and I do hear people tell me I'm lonely and nobody invites me, and I tell a story of how we were first here at Christmas, and we were lonely, and the Lord said to us, who can you invite that doesn't have anybody? There's something deeper about this than you realize. And for those that were this morning, you'll understand that the E of the bless strategy that we looked at for reaching your neighbors, your friends, your loved ones who don't know God, eating is there in the midst of that as well. So um, funny how this stuff is, is, is real. So invite somebody over, and you might not have a lot of money, in which case, you know, I think you can just run the tap and give them a glass of water, um, cup of tea. There's something important in about eating together. Now, we're going to come into land now. And in this point, so, so far we've seen that uh, Jesus opened the Scriptures and he opened their eyes. They could see him. And that's a revelation that you can't do. Nobody by their own strength can see. Um, as uh, a Paul who first proclaimed, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, uh, Jesus says to him, your Father revealed this to you. So you need your eyes opening in, in that revelation sense. But then there's another step. And this is where we end, where Jesus returns with those disciples, those two have hot-footed it the two and a half hours back to Jerusalem. And they're there now with the 11. And they're in the room together, and then Jesus appears. And in that moment, they've completed their assignment as they're sharing their little bit of the story. They're being witnesses to what they've seen of the risen Jesus. That's all God asks us to do. In that moment... Jesus opens their understanding. And here's the key to getting more understanding. Is you've got to share the good news that you've already got. 
whether you as a little child can put that in baby language or whether you've gone and studied a degree, please don't confuse it for people. <laughs> it seems sometimes the more knowledge you have, the more confusing we can make it. But take what you've got, share what you've got, trust God that he'll give you more as you do it. And there's a real principle here. Um, as these two disciples shared what they've got with the other disciples, Jesus came to give them more understanding. So we've got to give away what we've got in order to get more. Anybody come across that principle before in the scriptures? So we're entrusted with stewards. Give away this gospel. Give away the words. Give away um, the demonstration that goes with that proclamation. And God will give you more. So let's close in prayer. How should we do this, Ken? Who's feeling expectant? Not like a baby or anything, but um, we've opened the scriptures. Who's believing in this moment that God's going to open your eyes? Anybody else? Please, yeah. And if you don't feel comfortable going forward, you, you can just stand where you are. But I just want to respond to what the Holy Spirit's already doing in the room. Remember, there was a couple of disciples. Why these two? We know one person's name, but we don't know the other one. But this is always between us and our Savior, right? Nobody knows what you do in your closet. Nobody knows the prayers that you pray. Nobody knows if when you go from here, you open your Bibles or not. So, Father, it's... It's an opportunity as we've studied your word tonight for you to come and open eyes. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, for everybody who is, is wanting that, Lord, would you open their eyes to see you as you are? You used the same word um, in Acts as Luke was talking about Stephen having the heavens open before him as he's about to get killed on this earth but he's already got access to heaven. Dianoigo, would you fully open the heavens for these ones? Would you show us, Lord, what Isaiah saw? You seated on a throne. Lord, that you couldn't even fit in the temple. Your train wouldn't fit in the temple. You are the king. You are the one who reigns forever. Lord, show us who you are. And then I pray, Lord, that you would show us who we are. Dearly loved ones, 
ones that you've come to walk alongside for two and a half hours and explain everything to. So we pray, Lord, not only open eyes, but open understanding. For these ones who've given, whatever they've given, Lord, let them give it away again and give them more. We bless them, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you open their understanding, fully open it to be able to see, Lord, the riches that they have in the kingdom. You say if you come across a treasure in the field, sell everything else, give it all up. Buy that field. And I pray for these ones who are standing and those who are sitting down who are responding in their hearts. Lord, would you open up that treasure, the fullness of what the kingdom is and the fullness of who you are. And we just say more, Lord, more of you. Amen.